This is Important, a podcast by the Brexit Civil Society Alliance. I am Jacob Millen Bamford. If you walk around many places in the UK, you may see EU flags dotted on buildings or projects. These are as a result of EU funding. While the UK was a member of the European Union, it was entitled to funding. This funding covered many things and benefited many areas across Europe that faced disadvantages. I'm from Sheffield and I've seen lots of those flags dotted about because of the funding we receive. When the UK voted to leave the EU, the government promised to replace this funding with the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. I wanted to learn more about this and importantly wanted to answer why this fund should be set up. To understand more, I got in touch with Belinda and Janine, two experts on EU funding. Belinda, please can you introduce you and your work? Yes, my name's Belinda Pratton. For the last two years, I've been working with Equally Ours, the umbrella body for national equality and human rights organisations, and helping them look at their response to the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. Belinda, please can you tell me, what is the UK Shared Prosperity Fund? The UK Shared Prosperity Fund is the fund that the government will be using to replace European funding targeted at the poorest areas of the country. Can you outline a bit of history about funds like these and how we got where we are today? Well, since we've been members of the European Union, uh, the UK has been eligible to receive European Union structural funds. That is funding that seeks to promote social cohesion and to level up between different economies in the EU. So most of the money from structural funds go to the poorest regions in Europe. And that that is taken on an average of 75% less lower than the average. So in the UK, European funding has been particularly targeted at areas like West Wales and the South Wales Valleys, Cornwall, and particularly parts of Northern England and the Highlands where with the aim of promoting greater equality between those areas and other parts of the UK and also other parts of Europe. Now that we have left Europe, then we are no longer eligible to those funding. However, the government has been promising that it will replace that funding with a similar sort of mandate, and that is the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. It was first announced in 2017 as part of the Conservative Party manifesto as a fund that would help support the then Theresa May government's industrial strategy. The idea is that the money will be used to actually try and reduce geographical inequalities between different parts of the UK. Although it was first announced in 2017, We have been promised a consultation on the UK SPF, but it hasn't happened yet. And we're still not a lot clearer about how it will be used or what it will be aimed at. Now, this gap is really important because organisations that are currently reliant on EU funding will obviously be losing that funding in the next year or possibly over the next two years, depending on how long the funding runs for. Therefore, these organisations are likely to be left on a cliff edge if there isn't clarity and clarity very soon about how they are going to be replaced. 
And that's also important because as well as targeting the poorest parts of the country, EU structural funds also sought to promote the employability of people who tended to be left behind um, in the marketplace or who faced particular uh, barriers to work or in work. So it was particularly targeted at the older workers, for example, younger workers, people with disabilities, black and minority ethnic people, women, people with complex problems or ex-offenders. So it's really targeted at people who face the biggest barriers into work. Thanks for that overview. Can you tell me more about how people have benefited? Are you able to give any examples? Yes, over the last couple of years, we've been going up and down the UK, uh, talking to projects that have benefited from EU funding. Uh, for example, Quarateg in Cardiff, in South Wales, is an organisation that has been pri- providing leadership training for women working in non-traditional female industries. So uh, we talked to one woman that was working in the aerospace industry, for example, another working in, in IT. And they tell me that for the first 5,000 women that they trained, each of those women received, on average, a pay rise of £4,000, making up an over a million pounds in total that went to these women who had received that training. But also, of course, that meant better trained women feeding their families, buying stuff locally, you know, it, it, that raising jobs and skills and pay does actually have a positive impact then on the local South Wales economy. So you can see that, that actually some of this investment really pays for itself in, in the longer term. Another example is uh, we spoke to Abbotton Rural Training, which is an award-winning um, training program in Essex that provides employability and other support for people aged 45 and over. They're doing a really great job uh, teaching people cooking, gardening, upcycling skills, skills that are appropriate to the rural environment in which they're based. So the idea is to provide training that will lead to good jobs locally. One of the people we spoke to there, uh, he was telling us that he had been a carer for both his parents. Uh, When they died, he was made homeless because he had no rights to the family home and then became, you know, he didn't work, he didn't have anywhere to live. And he told me that this project had been a real, real lifeline for him. He had started making friends, getting to know people, learning new skills, developing work experience that he could put on his CV. And he has gone in a relatively short space of time from being homeless to having a part-time job now with a housing association. So these projects can really turn people's lives around but they can only do that if they're funded to do that. As Belinda mentioned, Wales has been a beneficiary of these EU funds. To find out more about what has happened in Wales and how people have benefited, I spoke to Janine. Janine, please can you introduce yourself? My name's Janine Downing. I'm the three-set 
operational manager, which is the third sector European team operational manager. And I work for WCVA, which is the Wales Council for Voluntary Action. Thank you. Can you tell us, how has Wales benefited from the funding? Wales has benefited immeasurably from European funding, from large-scale projects investing in infrastructure like roads and broadband to supporting small businesses and enterprises to grow. It's hard to go anywhere in Wales without spotting a European plaque. For the vast amount of projects that we come into contact with in the third sector, it's about individuals, it's about people, helping people in their journey to move towards their goals. This could be something like moving towards volunteering or employment, someone wanting to improve themselves in their career, or somebody wanting to develop a social enterprise to make a true difference in their community. One of the examples that always sticks in my head is um, we supported Hope Dog Rescue in South Wales. So through our social business growth fund, they managed to purchase a rescue centre. Alongside support from another third sector-led project, the Social Business Growth Fund, they established a full trading arm. So this enabled them to not only continue their core work of rescuing stray dogs, but they also um, continued the Hope in the Community Outreach Project. And that provided so many different things for their local community, including providing services like social and therapeutic visits to places like nursing homes and schools, providing pet food to food banks, care for animals when their owners are in crisis, and education programs throughout the community to promote responsible pet ownership. On top of all that, it also created seven new jobs within their local community. At the Brexit Civil Society Alliance, we produce a range of resources to help break down how Brexit will impact civil society organisations across the UK. This includes analysis and blogs from our members, resources such as our campaign toolkit, and a weekly e-bulletin. The e-bulletin drops in your inbox every Friday and includes analysis of what's happening with Brexit in politics, policy and events. It also looks ahead to key parliamentary events and always includes recommended reading for your Friday. Find all this and subscribe to the bulletin at www.brexitcivilsocietyalliance.org. The benefits we have heard sound positive, but with the establishment of a new scheme, it is possible to improve on what came before it. Belinda, are there any lessons we can learn from the EU funding schemes? Yes, I mean, I think it's quite interesting to look at both the, the good things and the problems with EU funding. Um, so the main problem that I think... You know, is almost legendary, in, in certainly in, for many civil society organisations, it's always perceived to be bureaucratically very complex. I mean, I know of organisations who just didn't bother to apply because all the paperwork, both to apply and in terms of monitoring, appeared to be far too heavy for the benefit that they got. That said, um, a lot of others you know, proved to be a lifeline for some organisations. So what we want to see is, is something that is, is bureaucratically much easier to administer. This sounds like a positive opportunity for a new fund. What do we know so far about the UK Shared Prosperity Fund? Well, apart from calling it the UK Shared Prosperity Fund and promising that it will replace the EU funding with this new pot of money, we know relatively little. Under Theresa May, the idea appeared to be that it would go to local enterprise partnerships. That is, business-run decision-making bodies at a local level who were responsible for economic regeneration in those areas. That doesn't seem, we haven't heard very much more 
about that since then. In the recent discussions around the internal market bill, then there's been some talk of it being a centralised pot, but we really have very, very little detail. And that's, as I said, is, is worrying for organisations that have been used to and are reliant on EU funding and the people that they work with. But also more generally, it means we really don't know what it's going to look like, how we can apply for it, or how it's going to help or who it's going to help. You know, there's so much that we really don't know beyond what they're going to call it. We don't even know how much it's going to be. Okay, so detail on what the UK Share Prosperity Fund looks like is a bit scarce. In absence of these details, what are you looking for in the fund when it's established? I think you know, we need to think, what do we want the fund to achieve? Yes, you know, economic growth is part of it. Economic development might be a better way of looking at it um, that is targeted at reducing geographical inequality, but also inequality between people as well as places. So having those equality, social inclusion, sustainable development, having green targets in there, having giving that the same level of priority as economic development. So you have an economic growth that does those other things at the same time. They shouldn't be competing. Uh, I think is a really important principle to have. That, that should be explicit goals. And I think there should be the same level of investment in education, training and support as there have been in relation to the European Social Fund. So it shouldn't just be about geographical inequalities. It shouldn't just be about investing in infrastructure should also be targeting employability to the same level and the same degree as EU funding. And beyond that, it should really prioritise targeting those people who are missed by mainstream forms of support. And there's a trade-off here, I think, in some ways, that if you want quick wins, then you, know, you go for the people who are nearest the labour market. That way you can say, well, look, you can have your impact very quickly. But if you really want to make a difference to the more sort of structural inequalities and really reducing the barriers to employment that some people face, then you really need this fund to ensure that this is for people who won't be part of that mainstream support. So I, th I think those two are, are quite key. I still think you know, that people and places thing, it needs to be targeted locally. Well, there are two things on the devolution agenda, in fact. Firstly, I think it should be recognised that economic development is a devolved issue across the UK. So if this is a UK fund, you know, pro rata, it should be devolved to the Scottish and Welsh governments, the Northern Ireland Assembly, and they should determine how it plays out in those nations. I think in England, what I'd like to see is a fund that is targeted at a local level, Local authorities, city regions, mayors, given a key role, but particularly local authorities, working with local communities, civil society organisations, businesses, because they understand best the needs of their local areas. Janine, as an organisation in a devolved nation, for you, how should devolution fit into the design and structure of the new fund? So I think everyone in Wales is pretty united on this and we're quite clear that we believe our share of replacement funding should be fully devolved to Wales 
to provide a program or programs designed for and delivered for Wales. I think that, you know, the, there is a role for Welsh Government, for the regions to play in the actual administration of the funding. But ultimately, it should be for Wales to decide how that works. From our discussions with other colleagues across the UK, I think this message is echoed within all the devolved administrations. We know there are limited details on the fund from the UK government so far. But do you have any concerns about the scheme? So, yeah, there is a complete lack of information and that is extremely concerning. So we're expecting a 12-month budget with some kind of announcement in there about possible replacement funding. And this in itself will cause significant problems. One of the key benefits of European funding is that it's multi-annual. So 12-month projects do not allow for any kind of long-term planning and the impact of any work is greatly reduced. It's then compounded by the recent internal markets bill and the lack of clarity around the spending powers, which overlap many of the areas that we would expect this funding to work across. So it's just the absolute absence of any information that's causing great concern. What would happen in Wales if the money from the EU is not replaced? So I don't think anybody truly understands the full extent of this yet, but people in Wales would suffer. Services and support will be lost. We're already seeing an increase in unemployment due to the pandemic and if the money is not replaced it would no doubt add to the growing numbers. Many people will will see a return to an increased poverty. If you are enjoying This Is Important, please subscribe to us on Spotify or your favourite podcast provider of choice and share it with your friends and colleagues. Tweet us at BrexitCSA or email your thoughts to info at BrexitCivilSocietyAlliance.org. We are always keen to hear what you think, so please do get in touch. We've heard about the benefits of the old funding and the potential for the new funding. What work have you and civil society organisations been doing on the UK Shared Prosperity Fund? Well, we've been working with a wide range of civil society organisations, umbrella bodies, to try and get some clarity as to what is happening, um, as well as to put forward proposals as to what this fund should look like. There's no shortage of ideas. NCVO, for example, at one point was convening a working group around this. But it's very hard to engage when it's not clear where responsibility lies. So as equally ours, uh, we have gone, as you know, up and down the country talking to people, We've done a short film demonstrating really good practice and the difference that it's made. And we've got people who've been recipients of training that is EU funded talking about the difference it has made to their lives. But at the end of the day, we're still where we are. I really want to have that engagement with government so we can decide, we can come up with a fund that really will make a difference and make a difference in the long term. Janine. Do you have any advice for organisations who currently rely on EU funding and how they could prepare in the coming months considering the current uncertainty? Yes, make sure you spend every single penny of what you've currently got allocated. We cannot allow any of the funding to be returned as how can we then ever make a case for this money being needed? We still have to make sure that we're abiding to all of the rules of the funding. So make sure all of your paperwork and audit trails are in place. And now more than ever, it is so important to tell stories and get your messages out there. Tell people about the real difference this money is making to them. 
the people around them and their communities. People need to see and hear about the real impact this money is making to people's lives. I truly believe that we've focused on big numbers for too long. So two billion into Wales, hundreds of thousands of jobs created. This is all really great, but it's not accessible to people and it often means very little in their everyday lives. People need to understand what is on the line if this money is not replaced. What about how listeners can get involved? It's about getting the messages out there of the impact that the funding's making to help raise awareness of what's on the line. But I'd say where people have the chance, people need to push for information and clarity on what's happening with any replacement funding. There's nothing coming out as far as we're aware. There's no information that we're receiving, but it doesn't mean that people can't continually ask for this information. I, I would say speaking to your MPs, speaking, you know, to AMs. Obviously, AMs are, I, I would say, most probably know the same as us. Um, but yeah, definitely speaking to your MPs um, and trying to just get as much information as you can. Sorry, for those unfamiliar, what is an AM? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's an AM is an assembly member. Finally, is there anything you would like to tell our listeners about? People can find more details about this on the Equal, Equally Hours website, www.equallyhours.org.uk. There are lots of resources that we've been putting up in relation to the work that we have been doing on the UK SPF and the Comprehensive Spending Review more generally. And that includes the film that we, we put together, a very short film, but actually shows the real impact that EU funding has had on people's lives. and. It talks about the projects that have supported those people as well. WCBA is here to help third sector organisations in Wales. So what I would say is if you've got any questions on, on anything, it doesn't have to be European funding, you know, get in touch with WCBA. We have um, Twitter accounts, social media presence that you can just easily find by Googling. But what I would say from a point of view of the European projects is if people have got stories that they want to share with us so that we can help them get them out there, please just get in touch with us. We've got an email address, which is just three set at wcba.com please get in touch with us to share your stories and we'll help you make sure that they get as far as possible this podcast was made by the brexit civil society alliance we are a uk-wide alliance of charities voluntary and campaigning organizations the alliance does not take a position on the 2016 eu referendum but seeks to raise concerns on behalf of its members and work to ensure that the Brexit process delivers on three principles. Open and accountable lawmaking, a high standard UK, and no governance gap after Brexit. You can get in touch with us via Twitter at BrexitCSA or email us at info at brexitcivilsocietyalliance.org. Please subscribe on Spotify or your favourite podcast app and share this with your friends and colleagues. Links to the campaigns and resources mentioned by guests will be linked in the show notes. We also have further resources on COVID-19 and EU citizens on our website, also linked in the show notes. Our show is researched by Catherine Sturgeon, which is produced and hosted by me, Jacob Millen-Bamford. You've been listening to This Is Important, 